I think this bill is a significant bill. The money's there. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a positive bipartisan solution coming out of the Senate. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of good in there. Uh, some of the things that, uh, that, that concern me about the bill is, is number one, the thing they didn't address, which, and I, as the former chair of the committee and I passed a, the, the fast act back in 2015, we didn't address it either. And that's the funding, the long-term funding issue. Uh, they've, they've, they're figuring out how to do it this time. Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. So much of how a city works is about where you are and how you get there. And the questions people face all come from there. Can I afford to live there? Is there a job for me there? How can I get there in less than an hour? Am I safe there? Do I have a fair chance to get there? Now, right now, a lot of people are not getting great answers to those questions. And as an already suboptimal urban landscape has been stretched by almost two years of COVID, builders, owners, operators, and city leaders have an imperative to find answers that work, which you know means I'm so glad and grateful to have three incredible thought leaders, all of whom uh, work currently with Squire Patton Boggs, that are focused on the key issues for cities today of transportation and racial justice. So we have Rodney Slater, Secretary Rodney Slater, the, the former Secretary of Transportation uh, under the Clinton administration. Uh, we have the former Chair of Transportation and Infrastructure Committee, Bill Schuster, who is also a U.S. Representative for Pennsylvania in the 9th District uh, until 2019, Republican. Um, and then we also have the former executive director for the Congressional Black Caucus, Karen Street. So thank you, all three of you, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So uh, well, let's start uh, with Secretary Slater. Um, Rodney, if you could grade the current state of transportation infrastructure, what grade would you give it? And why? Well, um, Gunnar, first of all, let us thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. And uh, thank you for this audience of uh, really sophisticated uh, real estate investors, uh, really from around the world. And so we, we very much appreciate the opportunity. Uh, let me also say um, a wonderful setup uh, with the focus on there. <laughs> I remember growing up and the question was always, when you're in the car with your parents, are we there yet? Uh, and so transportation, this desire to move and to do so in a way that is timely, uh, always matters of concern. Uh, and transportation has been at the, at the heart of that. I would hasten to say that today, also technology through the use of broadband uh, is another way uh, to deal with that there question where you can almost sit any place and still be there. Uh, and COVID has clearly uh, sort of uh, uh, peeled back the, the veil uh, when it comes to uh, giving us that kind of insight. Uh, 
but the system today in the U.S., um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's in a state of disrepair, actually. Uh, we remain the most mobile society in the world, and we want to uh, acknowledge that, underscore that. Uh, but we really need to make some significant investments in our infrastructure system. And I think that's why this uh, moment is so um, uh, pregnant, if you will, with opportunity, uh, with the ability to, um, you know, to capture the moment, recognizing the need for investment, and hopefully uh, garner the political will to actually see it through. Here we want to commend uh, the, uh, the president, uh, vice president, members of uh, their team, uh, and we also want to commend uh, the Congress as well, especially the bipartisan effort uh, in the Senate that's already produced uh, the outline of a bill, and now this process that is unfolding in the House that uh, we believe will be successful ultimately as well. Uh, so um, it's not where we need to be. Um, you know, your um, civil engineers, many of these uh, groups uh, give us uh, a D to an F in some categories. I don't know that I would judge it quite that harshly, uh, but clearly uh, it's not where we need to be, and we need to take advantage of this moment to, uh, to do the kind of investment that uh, we have a history of uh, of doing in years past. Thank you. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, it occurs to me that um, part of the challenge for a lot of us is not dissimilar to the U.S. military where they talk about, you know, you, you can't fight the last war. You've got to, like, go to the next one. And, and you're bringing up broadband. And, 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 and certainly when we think about transportation and the infrastructure around transportation, um, I personally am very concerned that we're going to try to build what we thought we should build 20 years ago how do we avoid that? Uh, well, the president has talked about building back better, and I, I'll be brief here because I want to get my, uh, my colleagues in on this discussion, but he's talked about building back better, and that means not just building back, not just dealing with the maintenance challenges we face, but actually building better, building to a higher standard, uh, building with uh, a focus on technology and um, uh, and this fourth industrial revolution in which we now find ourselves engaged, uh, moving towards 5G, 6G, and on. Uh, so it's it's building back, but it's building back better with an eye on the future. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Bill, do you think the current infrastructure bill will have a a, a real impact um, on on that, and, and and perhaps raise our grade a little bit? Um, what are you worried about us getting? Not getting right. Well, well, Gunnar, first let me just say again, uh, echo Rodney, what he said about thanks for having us on and the AFIR folks. I know listening to this, uh, it's a great opportunity to, to talk about this and for them to hear sort of the views of what's happening in Washington from, from the three of us. Um, uh, I, I think that, uh, number one, I think this bill is a significant bill. The money's there. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a positive bipartisan solution coming out of the Senate. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of good in there. Uh, some of the things that, uh, that, that concern me about the bill is, is number one, the thing they didn't address, which, and I, as the former chair of the committee and I passed a, the, the fast act back in 2015, we didn't address it either. And that's the funding, the long-term funding issue. Uh, they've, they've, they're figuring out how to do it this time. We did it six years ago, uh, but it doesn't really solve that problem for the next time they have to do a bill. Uh, and again, it 
it's always been based on user fees and that user fee that currently is the gas tax at the pump. Uh, it's not sustainable electric cars, cars getting more miles. Uh, people with uh, Rodney mentioned in broadband, people can stay at home now and work from home. So that's something that has to be addressed. Uh, so a vehicle miles traveled tax, uh, or user fee has to be something that we're looking at over the horizon. Uh, so that's really the biggest uh, uh, concern I have is, is the bills coming out. It, they funded it. What's going to happen five years down the road. Uh, but what's in the bill, uh, as I said, it's a large bill, trillion dollars. Uh, that's, that's positive. Um, the broadband issue that's in it. I, I think that's positive. As Rodney mentioned, uh, you, t- you can be there now and sitting as we are today. I think all of us are sitting in our homes uh, doing this broadcast. I'll be here all day on the phone calls and on Zoom calls and things like that. Uh, so I think broadband's very positive. That's it's an infrastructure that uh, is it's coming. It's important to the folks in this country, and it's going to be funded. That are concerned. One of the concerns I have about broadband is those dollars are all going to flow out to municipalities, and my hope is that the municipalities look to the private sector. To, to do the broadband. I think many of them will. Uh, I just think sometimes the local governments uh, think they can do things better. They might have a county commissioner or a supervisor or someone of that uh, elected official that's knowledgeable about the program and say, we can do this. And then five, six years down the road when that person's gone, they've, they've stepped into something they can't really, uh, they don't have the, uh, the experience to run. So, so that's something that I hope as we move down the road that we really looking at the private sector, building out these broadband systems in these communities around the country. Um, and then finally, uh, again, as I, as I always say to people, it's really hard to pass legislation, but once you pass it, then the battle becomes, how do we get the administration, the, whatever agency it is, DOT or DOE, to interpret the law the way that Congress intended it to? And that, that's a challenge. So when, when, once this bill is passed, that's something that I know my colleagues and I will be working on with the administration folks to say, and Congress, that that's not what was intended with this bill. It was supposed to be this, that, or the other. And so that's something that you have to really pay close attention to pay close attention to as you as you get past the legislation and it's signed into law. Uh, but I, let me just finish by saying I, I think it's it's a good bill. Uh, it's something that should pass. They're going to have their struggles up there for the next uh, two weeks or so. I spent some time over the weekend with uh, the chairman of Ways and Means, the chairman of Appropriations, and the chairman of Transportation Committee, and they said it's going to be a tough couple of weeks up on Capitol Hill. But uh, but at the end of the day, I think they'll they'll figure out a way to get this done. And from what you say, that's just the beginning of of the journey. Right. Uh, and uh, I was worried that you guys wouldn't have anything to do once it passed. That it would just be <laughs> that's, 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 when case. That, that's when the real that's when the real battle starts. Is you know, get, getting getting the secretary Slater to interpret it the way that the chairman of the T and I committee wanted the bill to be to be interpreted. Oh man! Well, uh, I, I mean, it, it it does kind of give you a headache just thinking about all the uh, all the issues that have to be there. But I think there's a an issue that I wanted to talk about a little bit with Karen as well, and then we'll 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 do a little bit more scrum here. But uh, was that transportation and real estate have long been um, an instrument uh, for um, segregation, for denying access, for discouraging access uh, to others. Um, a lot of that infrastructure that was placed maybe in the first half of the 20th century, uh, think about Robert Moses's Southern State Parkway and kind of these things that were explicitly designed to keep people out. Um, and there are others that are less egregious, but they're there. 
how do we look at transportation infrastructure less as a sorting mechanism and more as a um, as access to help more people get there? Yeah. Well, well, Gunnar, I, I echo the comments of my colleagues and, and thank you uh, for, for having this conversation, particularly tying in the element of racial equity into the infrastructure conversation that we're having having today. Uh, so, so thank you for having us and thank you for the question. Um, I think it's very important for uh, uh, people to recognize that um, there are so many examples across the country of what happened in New York and Long Island uh, with uh, the Robert Moses Southern Parkway. And for those of you who don't know, uh, Robert Moses was a uh, kind of master builder of New York uh, in the early 1900s who dreamed up this idea of a parkway to Long Island uh, that was really meant for well-to-do um, you know, city dwellers to kind of have a, a quick getaway to uh, Long Island parks like Jones Beach and to uh, be able to ex escape Manhattan. Uh, well, the problem is uh, Robert Moses has a pretty well-documented uh, uh, racist history um, and uh, asked that the parkway be designed with um, exceptionally low bridges so that buses carrying uh, predominantly poor Black and Puerto Rican uh, residents could not actually traverse the parkway to make the same trip to Jones Beach and other uh, other getaways. Um, and, and that is just one example. You know, you can think of the 10 freeway in uh, Los Angeles that really separates, you know, the, the well-to-do north uh, from, from poorer Black communities. Uh, south of the freeway. You can think of um, Rondo, uh, the Rondo neighborhood in St. Paul, uh, 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 Minnesota, which was a, a very prominent Black community that by the 1960s had been completely uh, demolished by Interstate 94. Uh, so, so that entire community was now basically a six-lane freeway. Um, you know, uh, Detroit, Cincinnati, Chattanooga, New Orleans, Miami, uh, all examples of, uh, all have examples of black neighborhoods uh, that were completely uh, decimated by highways. And, um, you know, for, for, for those listening who understand redlining uh, and real estate, uh, it's kind of obvious that that would happen. If, if those communities have, have the lowest value, then they're most easily uh, appropriated for, for uh, these public works. And um, that is our history. Uh, it is not just transportation and um, uh, infrastructure uh, that, that has policies that divide us and that uh, segregate us and allow access to some and not for others. You can think of education and healthcare and a number of other issues across the board. Uh, but the beauty of uh, policies is that they can be reversed. Uh, the same policies that allowed us to build infrastructure that segregated communities and blocked off access to uh, uh, economic opportunity, uh, those same policies can be used uh, to build back better, uh, to, to, to take uh, uh, ownage of, of a very popular phrase, um, and make sure that we are thinking about infrastructure, not just from the standpoint of equality and saying that we should uh, take this pot of money and spread it across evenly, 
Well, that's not going to right the wrongs of Robert Moses uh, and other uh, um, racist uh, uh, inspired and uh, uh, derived policies. We have to be equitable and say, let's take this pot of money and look at the communities that have a legacy of uh, being blocked off from opportunity and invest in those communities to, to make them right. Uh, there's a billion dollars uh, in, in this infrastructure package that is specifically committed to reconnecting communities uh, that have historically been blocked off uh, by these highway projects. It's a new, a new program and that's, that's um, uh, a wonderful opportunity to not only rebuild this infrastructure, uh, but also think about transit-oriented development that kind of builds up around those communities uh, to take the model of, um, you know, really progressive-minded uh, local uh, communities like uh, Prince George's County who are thinking through how do we not just think about infrastructure in terms of getting people to uh, where the jobs are, but think about it in terms of affordable housing and how do we use infrastructure to build up communities and economic opportunities around where people already live. Um, and so I think that um, this uh, is really um, more than a once in a generation opportunity. This is really um, a major legacy opportunity for Congress, for the Biden administration, uh, for the private sector to, to be involved in, in reshaping what this looks like, uh, to not only uh, think through what we want our infrastructure to look like 5, 10, 50 years down the line, but also to look back into the wrongs that we have uh, perpetuated through these policies and how we make them right, not just for uh, this generation, but but many to come. Karen, that, you know, I, I'm struck too by... We often talk about big infrastructure projects because that's what we've grown up with. That's, you know, the, the, this is the, the her heroism of the master builder, the fact that we call him that, you know, and, and things like that. They, we think of big projects completely changing the landscape. I saw uh, when I was living in Chicago a, uh, a uh, infrastructure project that was small that that changed things dramatically. And that was the 606, which for those of you that haven't seen it, it's, it's basically an elevated bicycle trail on an old Bloomingdale Trail train line. It went through two very well-off neighborhoods and two not so good neighborhoods. And it's three and a half miles, that's it. But it, within a year, the entire, it, it, it created access in a way and, and visibility to neighborhoods that hadn't been there. And you were seeing people that were traveling that, they weren't just traveling it for fun. It was like, now I have access on this inexpensive, and, oh, and by the way, the, the, all the property next to that, that uh, bike trail climbed crazy. Some of it doubled in value. The same thing happened in Atlanta with their bicycle trail, um, is that there are things that can be done that are not necessarily, we're going to completely reshape this region by putting a, a six-lane highway through it. Um, or putting a bridge over that highway since we realized that that ruined our city and, and, and you know, in Texas, that how, how we figure out that sometimes it's small projects. So, Secretary Slater, how do you think that given that, you know, there's big and small, there's, there's ban you know, high bandwidth versus, you know, more lanes of highway or whatever it is, what is it that we get wrong when we think about uh, infrastructure? What are the things that, that perhaps we invest in that maybe we shouldn't invest in? Maybe some things that we've invested in over the last 10, 20 years that 
gee, you know, knowing what we know now, maybe that wouldn't be the that wouldn't be the best place to put our money. Well, first of all, um, Gunnar, again, um, uh, just applauding uh, both um, Chairman Schuster and um, and Karen Street uh, for their uh, for their comments. Um, uh, I was thinking about uh, uh, the Highline project in New York uh, as another example of um, how you can take a dilapidated piece of infrastructure and turn it into uh, a new modern uh, use. And there again, uh, an old train track turned into uh, a walking trail, good for the environment, good for the community. Uh, and um, and people of vision can think through these sorts of things. Um, you know, I, I think um, it, it, it really comes down to focusing on the communities through which the system flows and not just focusing on a point of origin uh, and providing access to a point of destination with little concern for uh, those um, communities along the, along the route. Uh, I was recently in, uh, well, earlier this year in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, uh, commemorating the, you know, centennial or, or participating in the centennial of the, um, uh, of the Tulsa race riot. And as you know, transportation was a big part of that. Uh, the community felt somewhat safe because it was separated by a rail, uh, railroad track, but then, you know, uh, and it was cut off in many ways by that track, but it was also protected by that by that track. Uh, and um, that notwithstanding, uh, clearly the uh, destruction did go uh, into this community. But even as that community rebuilt some years later through, quote, urban renewal, uh, that um, community was torn asunder again, uh, much like Karen was uh, talking about with the other examples, through... Uh, urban renewal, if you will, and uh, and leveling uh, communities yet again. And so uh, this issue of equity, uh, along with, by the way, resilience and sustainability, I think will be the big themes of this um, administration. And as the chairman has said, it'll be the administration that then takes this wonderful piece of legislation and will breathe life into it. Uh, that was actually the opportunity I had some um, 30 years ago uh, in the early days of the uh, Clinton administration, frankly taking a piece of legislation that was passed during the Bush administration, Bush 41, uh, the Intermodal Surface Transportation Efficiency Act. And think about intermodal, the connection of the various modes of transportation. This was clearly a major shift from just the concrete, asphalt, and steel focus of the interstate era. It was a new era. And um, we were afforded the opportunity to pick up that wonderful piece of legislation and to breathe life into it. And during the reauthorization cycle, provided the additional resources, uh, the 4.3 gasoline tax increase, added funds to actually keep uh, that uh, effort going over time. Uh, that's going to be the thing that happens here. This is the first step, and then hopefully there will be others uh, that will follow, that will get us to where we, we need to go. And some of the changes will be big, you know, like the, uh, potentially, like the Big Dig project in Boston, uh, in a major city that wants to suppress or build over uh, or eliminate 
some of the uh, interstate lines running through a community and create more green space while at the same time providing for uh, you know traffic flow um, uh, strategies uh, as well uh, to even smaller projects like the closing of a street or the building of uh, of bike lanes or curb cuts or whatever. Uh, it can be large and it can also be small. But again, as we build back, the key is to build back better with that focus on resilience, sustainability, and as was noted, uh, most prominently equity. So we've come to the end of our time for this episode of the podcast, but this discussion kept going on. So we're going to pick it up again uh, in the next episode where we're going to go a little bit more in depth on the politics of infrastructure. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast. Thank <laughs> you.